Hello everyone and welcome to episode 29 of EV Brief, your weekly news brief on electric vehicles, sustainable transport and renewable energy from Australia and around the world. I'm your host Jonathan and on this week's show, Australia makes headlines for action on electric vehicle legislation, but not in a good way. We look at why Australian states are introducing punitive taxes on electric vehicles. Also, Conservative British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced plans to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel passenger cars by 2030. Some of America's largest corporations have joined forces to form the Zero Emissions Transport Association, or ZETA. Tesla is finally added to the S&P 500 index. And Rivian opens the online order books for its US model range, but also plans smaller vehicles for Europe and China. These stories are more on today's show, so let's begin. Well, starting off with some big news in Australia with potential global ramifications, we have the treasurers of three Australian states, South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria, all committing this week to introduce a tax on electric vehicles without any incentives to encourage uptake like you see in Norway or the United States or the United Kingdom. While South Australia and New South Wales are rather vague on the details or timeline, Victoria has dived headfirst into the concept, proposing to tax battery electric vehicles at a rate of 2.5 cents per kilometre, or plug-in hybrid vehicles at a rate of 2 cents per kilometre. If a Nissan Leaf owner travels 20,000 kilometres in a year, that's an additional $500 annually to pay on top of all the other road charges. Now, simultaneously, multiple groups and industry bodies have come out in favour of a tax on electric vehicles, namely Australia's peak motoring body, the Australian Automobile Association, as well as Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, a government industry advisory body comprised of finance and legal experts from government, banking, investment, uh, infrastructure and toll road operators. It's almost as if pro-motoring groups have been lobbying state government for months, while state treasurers have been secretly fleshing out a coordinated EV tax. Hmm. Look, I don't have a problem with EV drivers paying, quote, their fair share, but the fundamental premise of these new state taxes is based on a lie, one that is sadly peddled by the anti-EV lobbyists, state treasurers, infrastructure partnerships, Australia, and the commercial media. In a nutshell, all the above groups have been saying that the transition to EVs is inevitable and that EV drivers must pay their fair share to maintain the road network because without paying a 42 cent per litre fuel excise in Australia, like drivers of petrol and diesel vehicles do, EV drivers are getting a free ride. Well, far from it. Firstly, the biggest lie is that the federal fuel excise goes towards road maintenance. According to the federal government, the fuel excise payments go straight into general revenue that is to be used as the government of the day pleases and not specifically for roads. In fact, Victoria and South Australia have also acknowledged that any money received from a proposed EV tax will not go towards road maintenance, but rather will compensate the government for the cost of electric vehicle infrastructure. Now, the cynic in me sees this as an opportunistic cash grab that will penalise those who choose to purchase a zero emissions vehicle and will hamper the uptake rate of electric vehicles. New South Wales Treasurer Dominic Perrottet stated that anyone who drives a $180,000 Tesla should be able to easily afford this EV tax and not notice it. But uh, I'd contend that most Tesla owners out there and most EV owners are people who've worked very hard for their vehicles and have saved every penny and not sort of just the wealthy one percenters. Bayard Jafari, CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council, 
Council of Australia stated no other nation on earth has thought it sensible to apply a special new tax to electric vehicles. It makes no sense to keep burning foreign oil that clogs our air with pollution. Why would we slow the transition to cleaner and healthier air by imposing a new and unnecessary tax? And this is the thing, petrol and diesel vehicles pollute and spew dangerous chemicals into our communities. The fuel excise is in some ways a cost on that pollution. The more fuel you purchase, the higher the excise you pay for the privilege to pollute. It's not a perfect mechanism, but it's something. Every other country from Norway to the United States to Canada to New Zealand to China, they're incentivising the uptake of electric vehicles, acknowledging that consumers need assistance to not only transition to new technology, but that also price parity with petrol and diesel vehicles is uh, an important purchasing consideration when looking at an electric vehicle. Boris Johnson pledged last week that the UK government would lead a green industrial revolution and would ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. Johnson pledged £2.4 billion for grants to make EVs more affordable and to install fast-charging infrastructure across Britain. Not only is Johnson looking to cut emissions to meet the UK's 2050 target of net zero, but this green industrial revolution looks set to spark new investment in battery cell, vehicle and vehicle component manufacturing in the UK, something that's been in decline since the 2000s. But I digress. Back to Australia. Um, There is still no national electric vehicle policy despite promises from the federal government for the last five years. According to The Guardian, it was revealed in Senate estimates this year, I think in February or March, that a standalone strategy had been dropped, instead rolling EV investment and policy into a, quote, future fuels framework that includes hydrogen and biofuels. It seems unlikely that Australia would institute a ban on electric vehicles by 2030, especially considering we have failed to implement strict emissions regulations following every other OECD nation, but we risk becoming a dumping ground for old, inefficient, polluting technology because the rest of the world has moved to zero emissions vehicles. Man, there's just so much to talk about here. But back to the issue of tax, I believe an across-the-board reform to road user pricing is urgently needed, but unfortunately it seems to be an issue that federal and state governments refuse to engage, let alone agree on. EV drivers need to pay their fair share, that's true, but if you look at the combination of federal and state taxes that EV drivers pay, import duty, GST, luxury car tax and stamp duty, with the higher purchase price they are already contributing more than petrol and diesel engine buyers. What we need is a system that truly places value on zero emissions transport technology if we are going to meet our net zero emissions targets and Paris climate commitments and improve the health of our communities. We need to acknowledge that the fuel excise revenue has been and will continue to decline as passenger vehicle sales languish and that we need an overhaul to road pricing. Firstly, I believe that purchasers of new vehicles should pay tax based on the weight and or emissions of their vehicles, which should be the first incentive to look at greener alternatives. There should also be a higher threshold or no luxury car tax on electric vehicles, an option expressed this week by Liberal Party MP Trent Zimmerman. And you could do this with an expiry period of, say, five years to help transition buyers to EVs, whilst battery vehicles are more expensive. There should be weighted stamp duty incentives to discourage big, polluting SUVs. And finally, at a local municipal level, we need to look to Europe to address air pollution in cities, creating better public transport and cycling routes, implementing congestion charges to discourage private vehicle use in cities during peak times. That's something New South Wales government has brushed aside in the past. And also implementing clean air zones where only zero emissions vehicles are allowed at certain times of the day. 
all of this is incredibly complex, so what comes first? An overhaul to road pricing, or federal tax reform, or congestion charges? Certainly it's all very difficult, but one thing we've seen that works is to offer tax credits or incentives to consumers to purchase an EV. In the US you can receive up to $7,500 discount equivalent to the tax on an EV purchase. In Norway, EVs are exempt from the 25% value-added tax, offering a big incentive up front. Once you start to have critical mass of a new technology on the road, and we've seen Norway reach 50% fleet electrification in 2019, you build acceptance, efficiencies and commercial viability in the costs associated with EV infrastructure and, importantly, a serious reduction in fleet emissions. Importantly, you also create market certainty with technology partners and manufacturers safe in the knowledge that they can invest in new vehicle technology, knowing the governments are supporting consumers. Indeed, there are success stories as jurisdictions move towards zero emissions vehicles. Both Tasmania and the Australian Capital Territory have set targets for 100% electric government fleets, which has a positive flow-on effect of creating cheaper second-hand electric vehicles in a few years. The ACT also sets a shining example for the rest of the nation. Already the territory of 430,000-odd people is powered by 100% renewable energy and has plans to phase out gas with the aid of a big battery. The Labor Greens government there was recently elected on a pro-EV platform, targeting 90% of all new vehicles sold to be electric by 2030 and 100% electric by 2035. They aren't banning the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles, rather they have a multi-pronged approach that is sure to benefit consumers, the environment and business over the coming decades. Already the ACT has a weighted stamp duty scheme. Some of you may not know, but duty is a charge that is levied every time a property or a vehicle is transacted. Vehicles that emit less than 130 grams of CO2 per kilometre are classed as Category A vehicles and attract no duty in the ACT. And at the other end of the scale, vehicles that emit more than 221 grams of CO2 per kilometre are classed as Category D vehicles and pay $4 for every $100 of the market value of the vehicle, up to $45,000, and $6 for every $100 above $45,000. That means basically on a 60,000 vehicle that is classed as a heavy polluter, like say a a 5 litre Mustang which is around $60,000, the owner would pay $2,700 in stamp duty. For an equivalent zero emissions vehicle of $60,000, they would pay zero stamp duty. Now the ACT government plans to go further by offering an ambitious program including free vehicle registration for two years, a rollout of at least 50 charging stations, adding an additional 90 electric buses to its fleet, and crucially offering loans up to $10,000 to private vehicle buyers, of which 5000 is interest-free for the purchase of a new EV. The government is effectively saying, hey look, we know price is a major purchasing decision when it comes to moving to zero emissions vehicles, so we're going to do our best to create price parity with the other options in the market. EVs make up a growing but still small share of Australia's vehicle market, but EV sales are growing considerably overseas, and many manufacturers including BMW, Volkswagen, General Motors and Hyundai are committing to phasing out combustion engine technology altogether. That's before we even mention the raft of new electric brands coming out of China. Punitive taxes are an easy way out for state treasurers looking to boost revenue without uh, an across-the-board plan to tackle congestion, emissions and uh, technology transition, but the reality is clear. Australia will miss out on the most innovative, exciting and cleanest products on the global market without an environment that is welcoming towards manufacturers of electric vehicles. Already, Honda has stated that the cute Honda e-city car won't make it to Australia, Kia has pushed back the launch of its electric vehicles here, and Renault has actually pulled out of the Australian EV market. 
We'll wrap this story up here, but we'll be sure to follow any uh, developments and we'll continue to push for a clear EV policy framework across all Australian governments. There are also a number of petitions to ask state governments to reconsider taxes on EVs. I'll link to these in the show notes. More on the UK's Green Industrial Revolution plan now, which to be fair has attracted criticism for not going far enough and allocating enough funding for the scale of the challenge the country faces. Boris Johnson has pledged £4 billion to implement a 10-point plan, which is designed to help the UK reach its net zero by 2050 target and begin the phase-out of petrol and diesel engine passenger cars. Business Secretary Alok Sharma spoke with the BBC and reasoned that the £4 billion was part of a larger £12 billion public investment package, which aims to bring in three times that amount of private sector funding. Mr Sharma is president of the COP26 International Climate Summit to be hosted in the UK next year and said the funding will also create up to 250,000 jobs across northern England and Wales uh, across renewables, manufacturing and the auto industry. Now, the government's 10-point plan is as follows. Point 1. Offshore wind. The UK government plans to produce enough offshore wind to power every home in the UK, quadrupling how much it produces to 40 gigawatts by 2030, and supporting up to 60,000 jobs. Number 2. Is hydrogen. Have 5 gigawatts of low-carbon hydrogen production capacity by 2030 for industry, transport, power and homes, and develop the first town heated by the gas by the end of the decade. Now the third point is nuclear. Controversially they are pushing nuclear power as a clean energy source and include provision for a large nuclear plant as well as for advanced small nuclear reactors which could support 10,000 jobs. All well and good but the uh, Hinkley Point plant currently under construction in the UK is already £3 billion in years over budget. Number four, electric vehicles. Phasing out sales of new petrol and diesel cars and vans by 2030 to accelerate the transition to electric vehicles and investing in grants to help buy cars and charge point infrastructure. Number five is public transport, cycling and walking. Making cycling and walking more attractive ways to travel and investing in zero emissions public transport for the future. Number six is called Jet Zero and Greener Maritime. The government plans to support research projects for zero emissions planes and ships. Number seven is homes and public buildings, making homes, schools and hospitals greener, warmer and more energy efficient, including a target to install 600,000 heat pumps every year by 2028. Number eight is carbon capture, developing world-leading technology to capture and store harmful emissions away from the atmosphere, with a target uh, to remove 10 million tonnes of carbon dioxide by 2030, equivalent to all emissions of the industrial Humber region. Nature, protecting and restoring the natural environment with plans to include planting 30,000 hectares of trees a year. And number 10 is innovation and finance, developing cutting-edge technologies and making the City of London the global centre of green finance. There's a lot to look at here, but let's focus on electric vehicles. The government plans to invest £1.3 billion on EV charging infrastructure, including grants for home installation. There's also £500 million for a battery manufacturing facility in the Midlands and in the North East. Labour Opposition Business Secretary Ed Miliband has criticised the plan, saying the long-awaited announcement falls short of the scale of what is needed, and that Labour wanted the government to budget £30 billion of capital investment over the next 18 months.
Over to the US now, and with President-elect Joe Biden Jr. pledging to take meaningful action on climate change, corporate America stands ready to act and take advantage of pro-renewables and clean tech policies. The Zero Emissions Transport Association, or Zeta, is a new federal coalition advocating for national policies that will enable 100% electric vehicle sales throughout the light, medium and heavy-duty sectors by 2030. Comprising some of America's largest corporate entities ranging from Tesla and Rivian through to Uber, Con Edison and Duke Energy, Zeta wants to see the full adoption of electric vehicles to secure American global EV manufacturing leadership and reduce carbon pollution and therefore emissions. Policy goals of Zeta include expanded incentives, which means not only lifting the per-manufacturer cap on the $7,500 consumer tax credit, but also making it a point-of-sale rebate. Other goals include a program to incentivize trade-ins of fossil fuel-powered vehicles, federal emissions and efficiency performance standards that will send the correct market signals for faster electric vehicle deployment by the auto industry, New federal infrastructure investments and support for domestic manufacturing and support for local pro-electric vehicle policies. According to Joe Britton, the executive director of Zeta, quote, Transportation is responsible for more carbon emissions than any other sector of the US economy. By embracing EVs, federal policymakers can help drive innovation, create hundreds of thousands of new jobs and improve air quality and public health. Zeta believes that consumer incentives drive adoption of new technology and represent one real way to drive the shift to EVs in the US. Providing credits for older combustion engine vehicles will help to speed the transition and will also boost domestic economic growth. Zeta hopes that a Biden administration will use policy mechanisms to encourage job creation in the EV manufacturing and supply chains. Biden has already stated that he wants the federal government to move towards a 100% clean energy fleet, and he also wants to work closely with state governors and mayors to roll out 500,000 new public charging stations by 2030. Electric car sales are increasing in market share across the world, while combustion engine passenger car sales are slowing. Now, This has been further exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The overall market share of plug-in vehicles is still relatively small, however, comprising 326,000 or 2% of the total market in the US in 2019, 564,206 vehicles or 3.6% of the total market in Europe, and 1.18 million or 6.8% of the market in China. Over to Tesla, and the automaker is finally set for a spot on the S&P 500 index on December 21. Shares were up close to 15% on the announcement last week, as many Tesla bulls have been awaiting for this news for a long time, after impressive growth and a string of four profitable quarters throughout 2019 and 2020, a key inclusion requirement for the S&P 500. Now, if Tesla were added at today's market capitalization figure of $464 billion, it would be the sixth largest company in the index, behind Alphabet uh, Facebook, Alphabet Class A shares, Amazon, Microsoft, and of course, Apple. It'd be ahead of Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, and former Tesla component supplier NVIDIA. Tesla will join GM and Ford on the index as the only automakers, and it's likely that the inclusion will drive strong near-term demand for Tesla shares, according to Forbes, mainly from index funds that track the S&P. P500 and also managed funds that are benchmarked to the index. Also from Forbes, S&P Dow Jones estimates based on recent market cap data show that funds will need to sell other positions to the tune of around $51 billion to buy Tesla shares. Tesla will bump someone off the S&P index too, but it's not clear which company that will be. Barron's also reports that due to the sheer size of the company, it may have to be added to the index in a phased approach over, say, two weeks to limit any potential trading impact. This means that the full impact of the inclusion on the index won't be known until all parts of Tesla are listed. 
Many investors remain very optimistic about the future of Tesla, myself included, with excellent gross margins on software that are only increasing in size, excellent delivery numbers quarter after quarter, three new factories under construction and a healthy $14 billion cash on hand figure. Rivian has opened online orders this week for its Halo products, the R1T pickup truck and R1S SUV, with the configurator going live for pre-order holders and going live to the general public today on November 23. The R1T pickup will start from $67,500 US with a 300 plus mile range battery and the R1S SUV from $70,000 US with the same battery. Deliveries for the base model are listed to commence in January 2022, but you can get your hands on a launch edition from around summer 2021. The company CEO, RJ Scaringe, told Reuters this week that the company plans to sell smaller vehicles in China and Europe based on local consumer preferences. It's clear that with the way the automotive markets are going, global scale and competitiveness are key, which is why it looks like Rivian is set to produce these future models from new factories in China and Europe. It's likely that any new models such as a Tesla Model Y rivaling compact SUV will utilise Rivian's current battery technology or vehicle architecture to minimise costs. Rivian has been one of the few electric vehicle startups that is seen to potentially be a rival to Tesla, with the company attracting sizable investment, large forward orders for commercial vehicles from its Amazon partnership, a working partnership with Ford and the in-house design of its electric vehicle architecture. Now, the super cute Honda e performed an impressive world first this week, taking out the prestigious 2021 German Car of the Year award. This marks the first time a Japanese car has won the award, and the Honda e has also won the new energy category. The Honda e faced off against the award's category winners, which included two other EVs. The Volkswagen ID3 won the premium vehicle over €50,000 category. The Polestar 2 took out the luxury vehicle over €50,000 category. The Volkswagen Golf Mark 8 won the under €25,000 compact category. And the BMW Alpina B3 won the performance category. Unfortunately, it's unlikely that we'll see the Honda e anytime in Australia or the US soon. Denmark's public transport agency Movia is leading the world on emissions reduction, with the goal to not only electrify their bus and ferry fleet but to source at least 60% of the electricity consumed from renewable sources, Movia has appointed Netherlands-based Damon Shipyards as a complete solutions provider to design, build, assemble and power the fleet. Damon used computational fluid dynamics to optimise hull shape for minimal fuel consumption. Software was also used to design battery architecture that would reduce weight and consumption and therefore operational costs. Damon developed a charging solution with a number of other providers that allows the ferries to recharge their batteries in just 7 minutes at the end of every trip. The proprietary auto mooring system ensures a smooth connection with the charging outlet. If they can effectively produce auto docking technology for ships, I'm sure we'll see this technology roll out at EV fast chargers one day. Ecandia Marine has been chosen to provide the lithium-titanium oxide battery cells, which utilise Toshiba's SCIB technology. Toshiba claims the lithium-titanium oxide negative electrodes on the cells is extremely low risk in respect of explosion or combustion, even in case of an internal short circuit caused by external shock. The cells are fully functional at minus 30 degrees centigrade and boast a long life of over 20,000 charge cycles. Both passenger and freight shipping is responsible for a huge percentage of the Earth's emissions. It's great to see more electric vessels on the water. Canada, New Zealand, China, Denmark and Norway are all among leaders utilising this technology. Electric ferries are perfect for shorter passenger trips and are a brilliant way at reducing noise pollution underwater. Ocean noise pollution is a huge problem worldwide and it can cause serious threats to marine life driving animals out of their habitats. 
Thanks for tuning in this week. That's it for episode 29 of EV Brief. Please subscribe and uh, leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform if you enjoyed the show, and check out evbrief.com for all our latest EV news content, including updates regarding state EV taxes in Australia. My name's Jonathan. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.